Hello, everybody. Welcome to Conversations on Sex, Addiction, and Relationship. I'm here with my colleagues, Dan Drake, Jeannie Vitoni, and Tim Stein. And today we're going to be talking about the subject of enmeshment. And I have to say, when I went on Google Trends, uh, people are looking for this subject matter a lot, which uh, kind of surprised me, but it ranked very high in Google searches. And so I think it's timely that we uh, talk about this. And so um, we're going to have Ken Adams, uh, Dr. Kenneth Adams, coming on in just a little bit. Um, but before he joins us in this conversation, um, what, 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 um, what do you guys, what are your initial thoughts about what enmeshment is and any experience you might have with it? What do you have? I think it's so interesting that it's a high search term on Google Analytics because for me, it's a very psychological counseling term. <clears throat> and that just tells me that it's out there in the community. So that's great because our community is becoming informed and hopefully we can offer more information to our community. But I've got a lot of questions about enmeshment versus appropriate closeness and family ties. So I'm really thrilled about today. It doesn't surprise me that it's high up on the, the list. I mean, it's a clinical term, but I also hear a lot of people saying things like, oh my God, they're totally enmeshed with each other. And uh, that kind of stuff gets tossed out there a lot. I, I'm really curious to tease out the differences between enmeshment and codependency. You know, mm -hmm. for, for, for me, those two clinical terms feel like there's some overlap and I'm not sure that I could clearly identify one versus the other. And I'm curious if there is a difference between those. So I'm, I'm looking forward to sort of exploring that aspect of this. Mm -hmm. Dan, you're up, my friend. I'm up. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm curious. I see how this plays out, you know, and in, in kind of generationally. So with parents mm -hmm. and their kids. And, and, you know, obviously this is going to have a huge impact. So I'm really curious to, to hear what, what Ken has to say about this, because I know he's an expert in the field. He's had so much experience in this, this area. And, and we know it's a topic that has such incredible weight. So I'm curious to hear how that plays out um, in families, but also in romantic relationships and, you know, with all kinds of different, you know, ramifications of this. So I'm, I'm really excited about what we'll, we'll get to learn from him and how the conversation will continue. I agree. Um, Ken Adams has also written a couple of books, which we're going to talk about today. And so let's have Ken join us. Ken, you there? I am. All right. Great. Thank you. We're Welcome. Listening to your questions. I, I wanted to answer real quickly. So, but I'll, <laughs> I'll have you ask them again. They're very good questions. Not surprising from a, a group of bright minds like all of you. Nice to see you. Hi. Welcome. Welcome. You, Welcome. We're, we're interested to hear you have to say, because you definitely are the expert in this field, very well known, and again, have written those two books. So you're well, the guy. I, on the topic of the books, silently seduce and when he's married to mom. Um, Can I show them, Ken? What's that? Yeah, yes. both of them right. are watching. Right. Um, uh, Dan is showing the two book covers and uh, you can get these on Amazon or, are they on Kindle too, Ken? You know, I think silently seduced this. I'm not no. sure when he's married to mom is, but I don't, I don't, I can barely keep track of it. They have a life of their own, so I don't know what's going on. I will tell you this, so I just this week I got an email from my agent that when he's married to mom is being published in Russian. Wow. Oh, how interesting. The biggest 
publisher in Russia uh, for self-help books. So 18 months from now, you'll have a Russian version. Congratulations. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. And uh, also just last month, was uh, was uh, we signed a contract to have it published in Slovenia. Great. So um, it, you're, you're right. The topic is getting uh, more and more press, um, both clinically and I think in the in the general public, you hear people using the word enmeshment, you know, just kind of uh, even non-clinically. Yeah. And I think you mentioned that, Tim, that people, oh, you're enmeshed. And so I think I think giving some definition to it is right on, right spot on. So I'll let you guys guide the questions, but I'm yes, ready. Yes, yes. Well, 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 let's start with that one. Like, yes, okay. yes. Tell us what enmeshment is. That sounds yeah. great. Let's start. Let's let's talk about it from the perspective that we all know, and that is enmeshment is a term that originally was and primarily used in a clinical setting in the fam from the family system therapist, mm -hmm. where I learned it from, and I learned some family therapy uh, when I was in graduate school and in my internship and so forth many years ago now, and so enmeshment was is used to describe one end of a continuum of how families or couples function together. So one end is what we call disengaged, people who are sort of completely uninvolved. Their family looks like everybody is independent and in fact they are, but there's tremendous neglect and not a lot of warm fuzzies going on in that sort of end of the continuum. But you shift the continuum down to the other end and you have families that are very uh, involved and they, on the surface, look very close and can be very warm in their interactions, except when you get inside them. And then what you begin to notice is, is high degrees of dependency. I can't function without calling you five times a day. And I have to ask you everything and you have primary um, presence in my life over myself, over my spouse or partner over my career. So the, the primary sort of pathological or dysfunctional piece of the enmeshment dynamic is there is implicit or explicit contractual demands that you are obligated to be loyal out of guilt, which is, which is central to the definition. Okay, and so explicit and implicit, because some of our listeners may not know or be familiar well, with so those sometimes words. Sometimes families are, are very upfront with that. You mm -hmm. know, don't even think about you know, going anyplace but here for Christmas dinner. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes the guilt messages are just over. We just say them and, and the client will come in and say, you know, my family's making me feel guilty because they're telling me they're going to take me out of their will if I don't show up for Christmas these overt messages of demands for obligatory loyalties out of guilt. And then there's implicit, you know, what is your mother going to think? Oh, your mother hasn't seen you in so long. And, you know, we're counting on you. So this more implied obligation. There we go. So when I say implicit or explicit, there's sort of a mix of both in these families. So as I hear you talking about this, Ken, and I'm thinking about enmeshment and codependency, I hear enmeshment as I'm unable to function without you. And mm -hmm. I think of codependency as I've taken on responsibility to take care of your life and make, their, make sure that things are okay for you, yeah. almost at my own expense. Am I? Yeah. You, you hear that right. And there is a crossover, but there's a difference. And I'm glad you're raising that. So there's more than one route to codependency, right? Abuse, 
abandonment, neglect, and enmeshment, the four big hitters of family dysfunction or trauma, with lots of variations on that, right? In which the, the self is lost to another, and that my identity is, is dependent upon how you feel about me, so therefore I'm at your disposal, right? And I will sacrifice myself for you. And so, yes, you see that in enmeshment. What you don't see in codependency necessarily is obligatory guilty contractual arrangements that I have to be there for you because I can feel guilty if I don't. That is very mm. simple and very different. So I know codependents who don't feel particularly obligated out of contractual demands. They feel responsible. They feel like they have to caretake. They feel like my only identity is to take care of you. The enmeshed man or woman can't stand the obligation but feels no freedom except to be there. Uh. So that's a very important distinction. Yeah. So Ken, I, I've got to, I've got to ask then. I and I don't think I don't know Ken if you and I have talked about this, but would you say then enmeshment is traumatic? Does it cause no, trauma? No question about it. But it depends how you you know define trauma. You know, but mm -hmm. it, so when we think of trauma, you know, of course most of us go to physical or sexual abuse, overt types of abuse mm -hmm. where people wind up with you know, PTSD, acute or chronic PTSD, you know, developmental PTSD symptoms where you go numb over time, and use drugs or sexually act out or compulsively masturbate to deal with medicating and managing all the, all the, the, the um, dysregulation. But you see similarly with, it, with uh, stories, and I've seen lots of them over the years, where people have these sort of we wouldn't call them PTSD symptoms offhand, but they're trauma responses, right? If I get into a committed relationship, I feel smothered. I feel trapped. I feel guilty. I feel obligated. So now I want to get away from you. So I have a trauma response. Now, you may not have any of those expectations of me. You may want me to be myself. You may, you may want me to be a free, loving partner in this relationship, but I I react as if you're demanding of me submission. So that's a trauma response, right? And sometimes, and what happens is that you can see that in these adult relationships where the enmeshed man or woman will become ambivalent or dismissive or they'll act out sexually because if I'm looking at porn or if I'm having an affair or hiring a sex worker, I'm not emotionally obligated. So I'm free, right? There's a false... There's a false promise with, with sexual addiction and sexual acting out for the enmeshed man or woman. Yeah. Um, so we definitely have a trauma response, almost always evidence when um, I try to be intimate in a committed relationship. That's where it shows up most of the time. When you're I can't do it. I'm not free to be, I'm not free to love you because I'm obligated over here. Mm -hmm. So now, mm -hmm. I have to, now I feel trapped by you. So yeah, yeah that's, that's a long way around your answer. That is the primary trauma response. Tim? Tim? I was yes. just going to say that when you talk about that, it, it very much resonates with me uh, and, and my, my work sort of based on Pia Melody and her definition of trauma, you know, and she throws a very wide net on it, which uh, I, I really appreciate, which is any less than nurturing act is, is traumatic. And so there's this very broad relational trauma kind of model that she uses in a lot of the the work we do in trauma resolution and healing trauma later on while there's definitely work around sort of like the overt trauma like you said the physical sexual um, obviously emotional abuse there's a lot of work that we do around the relational trauma and the impact it's had and I know that in, in a willow tree you know Jeannie and I are uh, see a lot of the couples work that we do 
the, the core of that goes back to that relational trauma of what was their experience like with their caregivers and, and the impact of that. It's just really, really challenging. Eugenie? Yeah. Well, actually, I wanted to go back to, because we talked about codependency and enmeshment. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about close families versus enmeshment. And Ken, I heard what you said, which was that piece about dependency. And in enmeshment, the person feels dependent about the approval or the involvement of the family. So, so where's healthy closeness and where's enmeshment? Because I, th I think a lot of people need that description and understanding. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that'll, that'll uh, weave its way into where's, where are cultural differences in close. Absolutely. Ties. So I, I always answer it this way. It's a circular argument. So you, the line keeps moving. So I could give you an example and you'd give me a different line and we'd move the line. And so here's how I answer that. You don't know where the line is until you're completely free. Until you're free to um, commit to and be responsible for what it is for a young adult to do, which is to find their own way. And once I'm free to do that, now I'm free to return to the family out of choice. And once I'm free to choose, then there's no more muddiness about when there's uh, obligation or closeness, because always there's obligatory feelings in love relationships, right? So uh, we all have that. If you're in a committed relationship, there's senses of obligation. We show up because I don't really want to, but my wife's, you know, needing me or my husband's needing me. And, and so I'm going to put myself aside out of sort of obligatory love. So that by itself isn't uh, uh, the line per se. The line is, is that until I'm free, I don't know where the line is because I'm always organizing myself around my parents and family's need for me to be there. And my, my retort to the debate is that the last spiritual assignment of the parents is to take the loss. It is their assignment to take the loss and not obligate their young adult son or daughter to soothe it over for them. And so, until, so, that, until that movement happens, this line is always defined by the obligatory assignment to the parent to the family. And therefore, so I'm never, it's never out of free closeness. It's always out of obligation. Now, I might feel a little close while I'm there, be happy to see my cousins, my brothers and sisters. But then I go home and I'm angry that I had to listen to my mother complain about my father. So now I take it out of my wife. I don't see that as a functional system of closeness. So let's take the scenario of uh, family dinners. You know, there's, a, for extended family, people come together, coming together every week, and there is obligation. There is the, you come and have Sunday dinners, or we meet once a month all together. So, so there's a free, freeness of it. You're out in the world doing your thing, but come whatever date that is. The family comes together and visits and chats and has a meal and then they go back out in the world. So I'm trying to tease out here the piece of obligation, healthy obligation, unhealthy or destructive obligation. Yeah, but Jeannie, I think he said it. I think he said it's all about choice. Yeah, so I'm not obligated to show up for that dinner. So I, I was I just did a um, interview with Michelle Chaffant, so I can say this because she made it public in her interview. But she was visiting a friend, um, and um, she hadn't seen her in a while. She tells the story that her friend says, "Oh no, I have to show up for Sunday dinner," and Michelle yeah. says, 
I'm not interested in showing up to your family's dinner. I'm here to see you. Let's go out in the town. She says, I can't. Uh-huh. Right. And so, so you would say that was a meshment? Oh, no question. Okay. No question. That's no where I was looking for that. Because, because it, it, yes, thank you, Wendy. I think that the, the line is never clear. So someone's going to pay a price for that obligation. Let me just remind you of that. So we could argue and I'll get, I'll get, I always get arguments from people from particularly different cultures or you know, families who have these routine Sunday dinners or, or, or the like, and they, they have a list of reasons why, but I, I'll tell you that someone's gonna pay a price for that obligatory assignment, and it'll be mm -hmm. the person who wants to be closest to you. They'll get stiff-armed. Somebody will pay a price for that obligation that I have to show up for that Sunday dinner rather than I want to. So that's the shift that parents have to make I have a son who's in second year of college. So I'm going through this now myself. And so I'm having to learn to, you know, zip the lip and, you know, uh, text when he texts only and only occasionally will I reach out because I've got to give the kid a space. His, 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 his assignment, his spiritual assignment is to become who he's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Not to take care of his dad who's looking for the kid I played baseball with or played catch with all my all this childhood right that's not his job it isn't his job to show up on the other hand what a delight when he now as a functioning adult is more pure like and wants to show up so the exchange is is my son or daughter returns to me because they want to see me mm -hmm. so there that's the part that the Amesh parent and family will not tolerate they mm -hmm. won't let that space occur so they get that gift of he wants to see me. This is creating oh, from Gene, 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 hang on. So, so Dan had a question. Dan had a question. Thank you. Well, oh, you did? I'm so sorry. I, 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 want, I wanted to say something. So, so those are really critical points, Ken. Um, number one about the, so clearly that takes a lot of ego strength or whatever you want to say it for the, for the parents um, to, to be able to, to let oh. their kids, kids go and have have the faith or trust or that oh. that hopefully my child will come back. So I just want to acknowledge that 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 I can oh. only imagine for some parents, oh. some families, based on maybe their own experiences with their own families, how difficult that is. So I just want to I want to emphasize how hard that is for the parent. But also yeah. I think you made a critical point too about someone bearing someone paying the price. I I, I think that deserves slowing down a little bit. Can you can you share some of the ways you've seen um, someone always? paying the price on uh, for this you know what are the ways that that this is this shows up in a relationship for example yeah well and by the way thank you for raising that i think if, if i had more time and energy and more more help i'd create another another piece of my overcoming enmeshment umbrella and that would be for parents and, and i'd be signing up for my own workshop right because <laughs> there's a there's a grieving process when your son or daughter leaves right and um there's a legitimate grief and it's hard to sink into that and you're right it takes a lot to do that but let's just come back to our, our, let's call it what it is, our dysfunctional. So dysfunctional is it's not functioning optimally. Optimally, you're in the middle of that continuum. Sometimes there's, look, at, we're having a hard time. We need some help, son or daughter. Can you spare some of your time or energy for us while we get through this crisis? Okay. And then the family is, is flexible on the continuum. The MS system is not flexible. You show your butt up here on Sunday dinner. I don't care what's going on. Your loyalty is to the family. So that's shrouded in 
warmth, closeness, fun times. But but the son or daughter who has doesn't want to keep showing up every Sunday for dinner, they go anyway. And they really can't wait to get out of there. And they're tired of their parents fighting and having the referee. And so they leave resentful. And they leave feeling exploited. And they leave feeling burdened. And then they go home. And their spouse, partner, husband, wife, or kids say, my turn, I want some attention. And they get angry and they reject the person who's the family of procreation or romance that's sitting there wanting something from them. So the price is, is I have to, I have to unload this burden on somebody. I can't do it with my father. He won't hear it or my mother, or my brothers, because my brothers and sisters are agents of my enmeshing parents. So I'm going to give it to my wife, husband, or kids. I don't have time for you. Leave me alone. I'm going to stick my face in the paper, or when you go to bed, I'm going to go off to my porn. So somebody pays the price of rejection because I can't take all this closeness. So that's how I meant that. I don't know if that helps you. Um, and so... If you go back into the family system literature and you look at the you look at the characteristics of functional families, and you'll find the things that you'd expect to see on there. But the second or third thing on the list that I um, picked up when I went back into the literature to do my uh, training for therapists was that the the loyalty to the family of procreation is greater than the family of origin meaning the family that you create or the romance that you create or life you create, mm -hmm. loyalty to that is greater than the family of origin. Now notice something there. What's the operative word there? Greater than. Yeah. It's not equal. And what the enmeshing young adult or older adult does is they try to equal everything out. They try to parse out themselves and nobody's happy. They try to placate. Here's your codependency. I try to placate everybody Nobody's happy, including me. Uh, welcome uh, again, those of you who are uh, joining us new and uh, those who are still listening, we're uh, with conversations on sex addiction and relationship. And we have Dr. Ken Adams with us today talking about enmeshment. And so one of the areas that I have been interested in are how the partners uh, are affected by people who are in, in mesh relationships. Uh, Ken, can you talk to that? Yeah, that's a big topic. So I'll give you a two minute, you know, quick one on that. Um, so not unlike partners who feel betrayed by sex addiction, partners of enmeshed men and women feel second fiddle to the mother or father or family. And they often are um, uh, minimized if not dismissed in terms of their value and importance in the relational uh, dance. And it's very, very troubling and problematic for this. So they'll report similar sort of anger and, and resentments and diminishment and questioning their value and beauty and so forth. Not, not specifically like betrayed partners of sex addicts, but similar. Add to it though, if they're both, if they're both betrayed by, let's use in this case, uh, a heterosexual couple, the man being the sex addict, just for sake of, of ease for me, given my experience, 
um, if the man is both a recovering addict or has betrayed the partner due to porn or sex addiction and is married to his mother, she's betrayed on two levels. And so we'll get the same kind of vigilance around, did you call your mother? How, how long did you talk with her? Did you text the family today? Did you agree to do something? And should we get the same vigilance that we see with uh, early acute distress in partner trauma? And here's the trouble, is the, with, uh, through no fault of the uh, partner, she becomes a version of the controlling mother. And so all of a sudden, she's an embodiment of the very thing he's trying to recover from in his enmeshment work. So we often get spouses who want to come to the workshop with their enmeshed men. And I say, no, you can't come. This is his time. And oh, it's so hard for them. Um, so there's a whole need for helping the partner first be validated and then to begin for the two of them to create a co-equal contract of how they will deal with the enmeshing parent. And co-equal is the operative phrase. Neither gets to eclipse the other in the contractual arrangement. So that's the end process. We have a couples workshop we're doing finally uh, with enmeshing couples. And that's the end piece of our couples workshop. Did you? Yeah, I was, as I'm hearing you talk about this, I, I, I hear two dynamics that I find really fascinating. One is that there can be a pattern of enmeshment in, in the larger family, but in some ways, the individual's choice is paramount or is really important. Mm -hmm. um, like I think about a, a, a woman I knew in college and she and her mom talked every day. And sometimes the conversations were about what they had for lunch. I thought that was crazy and, and enmeshed, but really the 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 pattern is did did this woman that i know did she feel like she had a choice to call her mom or not mm -hmm. and if she, if it was a choice you know I, I i call her i like talking about her it's my choice i'm doing that 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 probably isn't an enmeshed pattern at least from her side mm -hmm. if she feels like she has to be involved in that conversation and there really isn't an option to miss that call mm -hmm. then it's problematic but it, that brings up for me the other piece of the larger family dynamic mm -hmm. might be, you know, a very enmeshing, uh, relationally traumatic experience, you know, where the family, you're going to, the family is going to dish out the punishment to the person. Mm -hmm. And it's whether the person chooses to engage in that or not. So the, the, the question that comes up for me is, if someone is in, has a family that runs from an enmeshed um, dynamic, and they're working really hard to choose to break the pattern on their side, mm -hmm. how do how do they how do they break that pattern when the family tries to pull them back in? Mm. Well, you know, so the first the first thing to realize is that emancipation is not um, a negotiation. Mm. So often, uh, emerging young adults or older adults who are trying to emancipate into their own lives are looking for permission from their families not necessary. It would be nice to get their blessing, but it's not required. It is not a negotiation. So one of the mistakes I see when I have men coming out of my enmeshment workshop is the ther and I was trained as a family therapist, I understand these the family system philosophy in terms of treatment, is they invite the mother in to help 
emancipate the song five days after the guy went to the workshop and finally claimed some space. And of course he relapses in his sex addiction three days later because the, the family system, the family therapy feels like a marital therapy session. Mm. So first of all, you confront the belief. It's not, it's not, it's not my family's decision to give me permission. It's mine. So the locus of control, the conf confrontation to the internal belief system and the work in therapy that you guys all do is, is paramount. And to help them move away and then to work through the guilt and, and then to get underneath the guilt, the resentment and the sadness that it's sad that my parents won't bless my journey. And to, and to feel the loss, because so much of this is a defense against loss and grief, in my opinion. And so helping them walk through that. Um, and also to let go of their golden boy or golden girl attachment. So it's not sometimes the parent hanging on. Yes. Sometimes it's the young adult hanging on, not wanting not to be the golden boy you know, or the good girl. And so letting go of that identity formation, grieving that I, you know, it's time for me to end this. This was not a prize to win my mother or father over. And so that's, and then of course we have the boundaries, time, touch, yeah. conversations, and you have boundaries. But you, the boundaries are almost, I don't say useless, but they're hard to keep if you haven't gone inside and dealt with the beliefs and the grief, because you'll collapse your boundaries. I, I hear a, a really beautiful nuance in there where, where you said seeking, seeking their blessing. And it's that idea of, I'm not looking for your permission and I'm not asking you to tell me what I can and can't do. This mm -hmm. is what I'm choosing to do. I would like your blessing on the, on the path that I have chosen and how, um, how powerful it, it could be for somebody where it doesn't have to be an all or nothing. It doesn't have to be, I'm writing you out of my life and I have nothing to do with you. It's right. I'm not going to let you control me. I'm still looking for your blessing and I still want to have this relationship, but it's by choice. It's not by your uh, doctrine towards me. That's right. Well put. And, and I'm glad you picked up on that because there's nothing wrong. And that can be part of the package of, of, of uh, changing is having that conversation with your parent. Yeah. Look, things are changing. And the sooner you catch up with me about this, the easier it will be for the two of us to stay connected. So you can, you can, you asked about some positive pieces here. You can offer that as a new template. There has to be a new contractual arrangement that is not built on obligatory assignment to you, mom and dad. I want to love you. I want to see you, but I need you to give me some space and give me some blessing that I'm on my own life so that I'm free to come back. And I, I think because I'm sorry, I, was, I tolerate, and I need you to tolerate Sometimes I'm not going to be around for you and not to call me and not to text me. So you've got to really lower the boom in a sweet voice. Now, unfortunately, I mean, many parents will just, you know, kind of get the hint and, and at least the very least resign themselves, maybe accept, resign, some version. Others will punish. And that presents a different picture. I love your phrase of look back to the locus of control, the internal locus of control, because that's mm -hmm. where the change is. If I can see myself as an independent self from my family, mm -hmm. then that's, that's all. I mean, I'm thinking of all the work that we do is so often creating that sense of self, ego strength. We have lots of versions of this word, but to create that sense of I'm an independent self, I get to make those decisions. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of thinking like in a parental family systems way, 
What can the system and our hierarchy of parents do to foster that in their kids, that they have that sense of independence. So when they go into the world, they don't feel that obligation or they feel that drawback. Such an important piece when we're raising kids, how to foster that independence so they're out in the world. And I'm just thinking like, how can we, how can we help our audience with some of the pieces of helping to be positive agents of change for their family systems? Yeah, you know, one, one of the things that comes up for me is, as you're talking, is how important it is for parents not to lose their identities themselves. Because mm-hmm. we forget about that, right? We forget that, that in these enmeshed dyads between parent and child, sure, the child's getting suffocated or smothered by the parent's needs, but the parent's losing themselves. And, 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 they, and they feel it particularly and this is true of all parents, even functional systems, when your kid moves away or your kids move away, there's a, there's a, there's a loss. There's just no way around that, right? It's a normal grieving. So helping parents grieve, helping them see that as normal, helping them understand that it's, it's temporary and transitional and that there's a new um, relational uh, context that's emerging if you, can, if you can take a deep breath and hang in there with it. And the, and the value is that you get an adult to adult relationship with your kid in which it changes. And no, it's not the same. Your kid doesn't need you in the same way. And, um, and that's hard to do as a parent, right? And my son doesn't need me as the same kind of father. So I'm kind of figuring out what I'm going to do in my life right now besides work, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. which I know how to do. Um, <clears throat> I have can other I, Can I have a quick question? So do you find that enmeshment is generational, meaning that it is handed down from grandmother to mother down the line, down the daughter. And do you find, this is a tricky question, but do you find that mothers tend to be more enmeshed than fathers or not so much? Well, you know, I have, so yes, the short answer to your question is yes, it's generational. You know, I my mother uh, was, was Hungarian, all her family came from Hungary, so. Enmeshment was like eye color in that family. But, you know, when I'm around them, though, it's just, you know, it's very warm. I love being around them. But my poor mother was connected, enmeshed with my grandmother, and I was enmeshed with my mother, and my brother was enmeshed with my mother, and my father came second, which was fine with him, by the way. He could do his thing, you know, drink and act out. Um, I don't know if it was fine by him, but he didn't have a voice in that, right? So definitely generational, because as an enmeshing parent, you tend to move to the source or, or the relationship that doesn't that that you have more control over so you're more inclined to find yourself in an enmeshing relationship with your own kid if you're not careful um so yes it's generational what was the second part of your question again wendy um uh, do you so do you find it's a tricky question do you because uh as soon as we att- kind of, uh, it seems like we attack motherhood and that can be- Oh, the mothers, I see. But do our mothers more, do you see the situations and the cases more that it's mothers being enmeshed or uh, fathers and what's sort of the ratio between those two? You know, I, I have anecdotal evidence. I don't have statistics for you. So, and I have a bias sample, which is I get mostly men not all, not, not entirely, but mostly men who come at the behest 
of the women in their life. So primarily heterosexual, but we have, we have a significant portion of gay men too. Mm -hmm. um, we have less women coming. When they come though, they usually complaining about their mothers. So it is more common to see the report of the mother and that may be cultural, maybe biological too, where in, biologically and so forth, and developmentally, you're more connected to your mother. So those, it's, it's a different version of doing that. And mothers, you know, historically in the culture have been dependent on the men in their family to provide resources. And so they're kind of stuck at home. So for those reasons, culturally, you, you'll see more reports of mothers, but I don't have any strong evidence. When you see, you do see women report um, both, both um, fathers and, and mothers where they feel entangled. Uh, again, these are generalities. So they'll feel like their mother's best friend. They'll absorb their mother's anger at their father and they'll take it to other men in their life. Um, or if the woman is enmeshed with the father, often she's the sexualized girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Um, and without overt touch, but with a sort of girlfriend-like quality to it. Yeah. It's very problematic. A lot of sexual acting out will grow out of that. I can, I'm wondering, how do you respond to folks with the cultural piece? Because I can think of a lot of cultures where, you know, uh, mother figure dependent on father figure, father's ahead of the household, the obligation, the closeness. How do you respond to folks who will say, isn't this more of a sort of an American thing? Um, yeah, you know, there are cultures that have a sort of layer of different values or mores where there's a more community, mm -hmm. both within the family and outside the family. And so I think you have to make sure you include that as you listen to the stories. However, you have to be careful not to let the individual use it as an excuse. So for example, I'm thinking of a man I worked with from India, not to pick on East Indians, but um, we, we've had men from all over the all over the globe come into our mm -hmm. work. Different, I, mean, I don't know, a dozen different cultures, easy, Middle East, India, uh, and so forth. And they drag in these cultural stories, but it, very quickly they drop off the table in the workshop. They become irrelevant. And what you notice is so that, so I remember this one man kept saying, well, this is what's happening in my culture. And in the, in the meantime, he's busy running around the world, both in his sex addiction, but also in his profession. The trouble, what he wasn't mentioning, his, his sister was stuck at home with no life, no romance because she was taking care of the mother. Somebody's paying the price for that enmeshed family system. <laughs> Somebody's not free even in the broader cultural context. I got an email two days ago now from a, a man who said he was Chinese, was from China, living in the States. And he said, um, I've been reading your books, blah, blah, blah. This is 50% of the men in my culture. Mm -hmm. How do they translate the book into Chinese? Mm -hmm. So we have an emergence of cultures that are becoming we dare say democratic, where this anointment of independence is part of the developmental journey. So how do you do that if every time I have to move forward, I've got to get your permission, mother or father? Right. So can what's- So I think, I think it's the same line. It's the guilt versus freedom. And um, so- 
Um, it is harder because of cultural context, no question about it. I think you have to be sensitive, but I think you also have to be careful not to let the client hide behind that. I'm yeah. thinking about so Ken, the- as, so, as the um, so as our listeners are gathering all this information and they might start having aha moments like, oh my gosh, I might be a master. Oh my gosh, my partner might be a master. What's the first thing that they can do? What, what, what can they do to take action around this? Well, you should get educated. So, you know, I have, for example, on my overcomingameshment.com website, lots of videos and podcasts, and you guys have one now. Um, and um, I think that, you know, you probably are going to need to see a therapist who can help guide you. And you have to make sure the therapist is not too worried about the impact on your mother or father. I hate to say it that way. And because the, the loyalty to you must be for, foremost with the therapist. So, so that's a good point. How, do, how does someone find that therapist? What kinds of questions would they ask or how do they determine that? Yeah, so- good question, Dan. Uh, yeah, so you, you know, what, what is your understanding of this? Have you read these books, for example? Um, and um, you don't dare ask, what is your experience with your mother or father? But, you know, uh, enmeshed, enmeshed individuals make good caretakers. So sometimes we find them in the therapy community, present company excluded, of course. Oh, of course. <laughs> uh, we, we just say that, we, we know that. But um, so I, I'd ask them their take on that. And can you guide me? Um, I do have a, I do a one day workshop um, best practices. And I do the do's and don'ts. Don't invite the parent into family therapy the week after they create some, you know. So I have about a 15 practice points. So if you go on my website, you'll see the therapist who took that workshop. Um, you guys, of course, you know, just by your questions are obviously um, uh, know about this stuff. But um, I don't, the, the, the list of therapists is not an endorsement of them. Um, it is only that they took the workshop. So it's not a training course, but it is a best practice. So that's one, one source you can get to. I'm thinking about the, the, the work with the clients and helping them through this journey. And it seems to me that it's two-sided. And I know we see this in our office. There's the one side, which is recognizing if I'm enmeshed with my mom, my family, my father, if there's that enmeshment and how do I start to embrace choice, even if it's difficult. I think the other side of it is that I often see uh, people that have grown up in families with significant enmeshment or disengagement, that it hasn't often has an impact on me and how I experience relationships. And if I tend to enmesh with other mm -hmm. people, or if I tend to be disengaged. And so yeah. I think there's, I make up that there's that second part of the work, which is, if I have a tendency towards enmeshment, how do I learn to live without, um, without creating a sense for somebody else that there's an obligation to remain connected to me? Or if I'm disengaged, because growing up in an enmeshed family kind of felt like tentacles and relationships didn't feel safe. Mm -hmm. How do I learn to open up, be a little bit more vulnerable and known and connect in an appropriately boundaried yet intimate way. Mm -hmm. And so helping people to figure out how to do their own relationships, if they tend to sort mm -hmm. of slide one way towards enmeshment or disengagement, or, you know, there's always those, those we're always going to have a variation of those, but if they're out in those extremes, mm -hmm. helping them to sort of figure out how do they do that relationally different. And I know that that's a significant part of the work that we do um, with sex addicts and sometimes with partners, depending on what, what their experience has been. Mm -hmm. For sure. Well, you've answered to some extent your, kind of your, your own query or questions, but the thing I would add to that is they have to make sure they're separating first and divorcing first the right contractual arrangement. Mm 
So I, I, I like the family of origin choice word where I, I, we use the word divorce, which we don't use lightly, but we, we divorce contractual arrangements to be loyal to my mother, father, or family at the cost of mm -hmm. my life or my romantic relationship. So that's the first order of business. And then invariably I have done some enmeshing with my partner or some avoidance. But I think you got to clean house a little bit on that contract. Mm -hmm. You got to get out of the contract. It makes this piece easier. And so invariably, though, we do see, oh gosh, I also now have it with my wife. So and I have to, you know, my wife wants me to take the dog out. And, you know, we we talk about this in the workshop that, you know, recovery from enmeshments like recovery from addiction, you do it one day at a time. And you don't you have to be careful about troublesome compromises. So if I'm too busy. My wife says, you know, take out the dog, change the light bulb. And I'm saying yes all the time when I really don't want to say yes. Pretty soon, you know, by the third day of that, I'm, I'm resentful and I'm pulling back, right? So I've said, no, I don't, I don't have time to take out the dog. You're going to have to do it. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not here to, <laughs> to wait on you. And so those are tough choices when you come from an enmeshing system. It's hard to say that to yourself. And then to find a loving way to deliver that to your partner. And... Um, so I think first order of business is that divorcing that contractual arrangement. The second is looking at how it shows up over here. If that's you start perfect. at this end, it's harder. That's perfect. So I think we're at the end of our episode today. And so I want to thank Dr. Adams so much for joining us. Mm -hmm. And uh, anything you guys have been great. Thanks. Oh, thank you so much for being here, Ken. Yeah, thanks so much. And so anybody that's uh, listening or watching, if you want to share this, uh, please do on any social media that could be Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, all the rest. Um, you name it, we're there. <laughs> yeah, you name, you name it, we're there. And um, we're looking forward to seeing you next time and uh, to help us join the conversation. Thank you. Bye, everyone.